Thank you. Well, I want you to picture with me, if you would, um, it's fifth grade. I'm a little guy. I know you're like, you're still a little guy. I know, but I was even a smaller little guy at that point. It was fifth grade. It was time for me, as a fifth grader, to go over to the middle school, which was the huge, big guys across the street. Our, our campus, I went to school out in A-Leaf. We had Boone Bobcats, which was the elementary school. And then we are going to go over to Ollie Middle School with the sixth graders. And so we didn't load up on a bus. We just walked across, and we sat in this library. And we're sitting in this library, and we're waiting for our eighth grader to come that's going to be our tour guide to show us around the middle school because we're going to be fifth graders that are going to be sixth graders for the next year. So here we are, and we're sitting in this library just waiting on somebody to come and pick us up. And I'm from a single-parent home, divorced home. See my dad on first and third weekends. He's a great dad, but there's not a lot of male influence in my life uh, that's in a positive way, you know. So or my dad's in a positive way, but there wasn't any, you know, other people my age. I hope I didn't just diss my dad there. Maybe I need to unpack. I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, but to be able to be there, so I'm sitting there in this spot, and this eighth grade guy walks in, and I got him mapped out from the, as soon as he walks in the door. I'm thinking that's the guy that I want to be my mentor, so to speak, for these couple days. He's the one that I want to come along and to take me by his side, and then when he takes me by his side to show me the ropes of middle school, because in my eyesight, in my vision, it looks like this guy's going to be the coolest, the neatest, the best guy that'll be able to show me how to actually navigate this scary, horrifying thing called middle school. So he walks up, and we're in line. Uh, he's in line, and we're picking out different people, and the people walk up, and they say, well, I'll take you, and I'll take you. So it's kind of like the kickball field, you know, where they start picking you out, or football field, or whatever it was. And in those spots, I was usually the last person picked. So I was a little bit nervous about how that was going to go down. I might not get this cool guy that I wanted. So he's coming through, and all of a sudden, something in me, I don't know why, but I just go into like total nerd world, and I lift up my hand, and I start going, me, 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 like this to this guy. So it's kind of like, remember Horse Shack on Welcome Back, Cotter, if some of y'all remember that? So I'm doing, oh, 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 like this. And he kind of goes, yeah, you, and starts walking off. And so I just sheepishly follow him, and I'm like, yes, wonderful, this is great. I'm so excited about this. and just fired up. Well, when I was thinking about this mentor lesson that we have today, I was thinking about even in the heart of a little fifth grader, there's something in a man that wants an older man to minister to him and to mentor him. There's something in us as men that needs that older man, whether it's fifth grade to eighth grade, or whether it's somebody that's in you know, their fifth year of college to somebody that's in their 18th year of business, that they're able to come together and to connect in such a way that they're able to mentor one another and to help each other walk through life. So we're going to cover a lot of ground here in this session that we have of filling in the blanks, so get your pens ready to go. In just a minute, we'll be, we'll be set and we'll be going through those. But this is a subject for us that I don't think a lot of us have really dealt with or thought about we've kind of always said yeah i know i need guy friends and i know i need some some buddies to hang out with but how do i receive mentoring in my life or how do i get a, a mentoring relationship where i'm mentoring somebody else so if you're here and you're in your 40s 50s 60s your mind might be tracking this morning on okay i need to be finding out a guy in his 20s and his 30s to mentor if I'm here and you're in your, if you're here and you're in your 20s and 30s, then your mind might be tracking along thinking, I need to find a guy that can mentor me. Or there might be somebody as well that you want to mentor or vice versa. But those are kind of the categories that we're going to be in. So as we talk about mentoring, let's just take in our books in chapter 34 and we'll look at it here. 
The first thing that we have there in the first little spots, it says that the awesome empowering impact of an older man. There's two things that are going to be able to do. One, it's going to give a vision of words, and the second is going to give you the locking in of life. Now, the vision of words is when we're able to come alongside somebody and say, we want to give you encouragement with our words. Have you ever had somebody older than you, somebody that you respected, they say just the right thing, and they say something to encourage you. Maybe it's a businessman, that this businessman, and you're a young businessman, and they pour into you and they say, you know what, I think you got what it takes. I can remember different times that I'd had people that were pastors, or I had people that were ministers, or speakers, and I would be speaking, and they'd be sitting in the back of the room, and I'd be thinking, oh man, what are they thinking? I hope this is right. Is this exactly what I need to say? Is this how I'd say it? And then they'd come around afterwards, and they'd put their hand on my shoulder and say, Greg, God's really gifted you with teaching. And I'd go, oh, well, thanks. And I'd kind of try to push it off to be humble. But in my heart, I went, whoa, wow. They said that to me. And the impact of those words was huge, was huge. Mark Twain said that he could live off a compliment for a month. He could live off one compliment for a month. Now listen to this, this story of, of this guy that was involved in this family. It was a letter that was written. And here's what he said. My brother Tommy was the strong one the gifted student, the stellar athlete. I was the weaker brother, the skinny one, the split end, not the tight end. I had the low self-esteem, but one day that all changed when Daddy Robert, my stepfather, was driving me to one of my football games. He patted my leg and said, You know, Scotty, you're really strong. What? The words took me by surprise. I looked at him, and suddenly I felt alone with this man, Daddy Robert. Up to then, he had been one large component of our family, yet a virtual stranger to me. Now for the first time, I saw us as a combination of two. Not he and Mom, not he and Buzz, not he and Tommy, but he and I. It scared me and it thrilled me. You're really strong, Scotty, he said. You're wiry. I could feel his huge, huge hands on my warm leg. Something surged in my veins. He believed. With my oversized helmet sitting atop my bird-like frame, I must have looked like a Tootsie Roll pop on the football field. But given those few simple words, I was set loose with fury. On the Lancaster Tigers in particular, there was a terror across the line of scrimmage that night. I could see it in the eyes of the Lancaster player who lined up in front of me. Little did he know that I had had hands laid on me, anointing me for this battle. I had a license to kill, all because Daddy Robert said something. For four quarters, my opponent fell in the force, full force of my ageless periarchal, uh, or patriarchal blessings smashing against his head and his shoulders. I was a different man because my stepfather had spoken life into me. Now, that might not have happened for you, but you can sure relate to that, can't you? There's something about someone coming along, older, wiser, and saying, you know what? You did a great job closing that deal. You know what? You did a great job with your son or your daughter. You know what? That was awesome the way you treated your wife. You know what? I think you're a godly man. You know what? I think that you can do it. And those things lock you into life. They're impacting words that lock you into life. So now you're locked and loaded. You're ready to go. You're ready to move forward and to go for it, whether it's being a kid here on a football team or whether it's a businessman, a dad, or you know, whatever you do. So that's the first things that they do. Now, as we get to our first blanks, why do we have to move from dad? seems like dad would do this. Well, there's two reasons. Dad can only take you so far, and male mentors are specialists. Dad can only take you so far, and male mentors are specialists. 
Now, we don't want to underestimate or minimize the role of father in any way, shape, or form by this message on mentoring. The father role is, I mean, that is the primo, number one, best role of mentoring. Now, as we've been walking through all this material, there's a lot of us that we haven't received the father role in the ways that we wanted to receive it or the ways that we needed to receive it. And even those of us that have received that fatherly connection, there's, there's an aspect that we need to also have people mentoring us because there's a point in which dad has done what he needs to do. Now, he's still there encouraging. He's still walking alongside. But there's somebody else that can come in as a male mentor, as a specialist. They can come right into where you are, maybe in that different city, in that different town. I've had two mentors, basically, in my life. One of them was uh, a guy that I'll call him my mentor in ministry. That he was a guy, he was in ministry. I helped serve with him. He taught me a lot of things about ministry, showed me a lot of things about the faith and godliness. It was just an amazing, amazing time. Then there was another guy that he was my mentor in a way that was more of kind of, he's a, he was a businessman, he's a jeweler in College Station, and we met together for years. We'd eat breakfast once a week together. And he would be my guy that would just kind of show me the things about life. They were in two different chapters of my life. One was kind of a ministry mentor, and then I went a few years where I didn't have any type of mentorship besides just, I guess, some buddies. But that didn't really count as much. And then a guy that came along, and that second guy was a male specialist in the sense that he was, or that sounds kind of weird. Let me say, a male mentor that was a specialist in my life. Male specialist sounds like, you know, proctology report or something like that. But, you know, so... This guy was a specialist in knowing in this chapter of life for marriage, for family, for growing in career, all of those things he was able to come alongside. Now, there's five components of a mentor. And B, number one, and number two, he is one who supports rather than competes with you. He's one who supports rather than competes with you. Andy is one who is primarily a cheerleader and not a critic. Let's take number three as well. I I don't want you to always have to look up and then fill in a blank, so we're going to hit a couple of them. One who is primarily a cheerleader and not a critic. He is one who seeks to encourage the development of your gifts while seeking to protect you from costly mistakes. Now, those three kind of go together. He's there to encourage you. He's not there to be a critic. He's not there to compete. He's there to cheerlead. He wants to protect you. So there's a spot in here that this mentor is coming along your side. So a mentor doesn't need to be your competitor in your business place. It needs to be somebody that's not in competition with you, but is somebody that is pushing you along, cheering you on. That their greatest desire is for you to succeed. They're not threatened by your success. They're not uh, somehow inhibited by your success. They want you to do an absolutely great job, and they want to come alongside of you and put some wind in your sails to help you do that. Now, when that happens, God begins to blow into you something fresh so that you feel like, I can do this. Now, we as men are competitive. I mean, we'll compete over all sorts of things. We love competing over sports. We love competing over you know, business-type stuff. All of us are a little bit competitive in whatever vocation you're in. It's, it's particularly sickening when you're a minister and you see competition because you know better. But all of us as men have that come out in us where we think, and we might not voice it, but we want to jockey for position. You can see that in the way we interact sometimes. We're jockeying for position in a party setting on who's going to be the funny guy and who's going to be the wise guy and who's going to be the most successful guy in the room. And on and on it goes. And we jockey for those positions. 
And spiritually, when we pull back from that spot, instead of jockeying for a position of competition, we begin to encourage one another to succeed greatly. And all of a sudden, we now have somebody that's not trying to hold us back so they can get ahead. It's somebody that's saying, you go on ahead. You go first and be a cheerleader. I remember um, I was speaking at a church, and I asked the, the pastor that was there. He had been there almost 30 years. So I asked him if he would critique my message. And I was just a young guy kind of getting started. Uh, and I had gotten to speak at this church, and I was real excited about it. And so I asked him to critique my message. And so he sat there, and um, you know I could hear him amen in a few weeks before when I had uh, spoken at the church, and I could hear his voice, and I listened to his tapes. And I could hear that voice, amen, and I thought, I think that's him. I think that's him. And then I noticed it was him, and I went, oh, no, it is him. It is him. So I asked in a couple of weeks if he would critique the message. And so uh, he did that, that next Sunday when I spoke, and we went to a restaurant and sat down, and he went through that message, and he just gave me so many bits of wisdom. His name was John Bassanio, and it was at First Baptist Houston. And I was about 23, and this was the biggest church I'd ever spoken in. And here I was on a Sunday Nights Alive. Remember those, some of y'all? And here I was, little did I know, you know, this, this was a, a new venture. I was just excited to be there. And we sat down at what I think was called the Strawberry Patch down where it's now the Mason Jar. I think that was the name of it back then. And we sat, and he just, he said, now here's some great things. And he gave me some things to improve on as well. And I went, man, that was great. But there wasn't any competition. There wasn't him going, well, uh, I'm the pastor here. And, I, man, I don't know if I want any young whippersnappers coming in here. Wasn't that at all. It was him being able to pour into me just for that one moment. We just met that one time. And you know what? Yesterday, he and I, we still get lunch about every six weeks. And we talk. Now, don't think Brother John's running the show like behind the scenes and, you know, this is somehow like the Godfather. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to rub that deacon out, Greg. Take him out. You know, it's not, it's not happening like that. But there is a point in which I feel like, and he feels like, that it's wonderfully healthy for the new pastor and the old pastor to get along wonderfully well. And I think it's idiotic for me not to sit and pick his brain after 30 years in this place. So we get together every once in a while, and we talk about all sorts of stuff, and then, you know, guys, we end up talking shop at some point. And so in those spots, he's a cheerleader. He's a wonderful encourager. He wants great things, and he always has. There's been other people that have done that as well. I remember speaking at a camp, and I looked in the back of the room, and there was Louis Giglio sitting back there. We were going to eat lunch, and I looked back, and I saw him. I thought, oh, no. So I just said, let's pray one more time, guys. And so we prayed again. You know, tremendous speaker, but encouraging, cheerleader, not, com- not competing, wanting to protect you from costly mistakes. Pastors that I met with um, when I was a student at A&M that I would be able to be, be with. When I was a minister at A&M, pastor that I would meet with and would disciple me. Amazing things to be able to have that. Number four, he's one who admires and delights in you because he instinctively recognizes your value and untapped potential. He's one who admires and delights in you because he instinctively recognizes your value and untapped potential. Number five, just so we could get our blanks, he's not necessarily a close friend, but he is a close confidant. Not necessarily a close friend, but a close confidant. Somebody that's able to recognize potential in you. I love, now that I get to do this with other folks, I love seeing somebody stand up that's maybe in their 20s and give a message. Maybe they're a little bit nervous because I'm in the room. 
and walk up to him, and I, I try to compliment specifically, and to give a specific encouragement, walk up and say, you know what, you did a great job on this, this, and this. That illustration was awesome. That this, man, that verse, I've never seen that verse like that. Not just with people younger than me, but anybody that, that's speaking or doing what I would do. Because I think that I have a voice in their life to be able to say, you know what, there's something in you. There's a gift of teaching in you. There's a gift of administration in you. God's using you in business. Man, what a great dad you are. What, and just, boy, and you just see that man's soul like a sponge in the desert, just soaking it up. Now, this person doesn't have to be your best friend that you've ever known in your entire life. It just has to be somebody that you can trust and have confidence in and that you can be able to say, you know what, I'm going to trust you with these things. Now, is mentoring different than discipleship? Mentoring is different than discipleship. Discipleship is taking the basic tenets of the faith and passing them on in the most clearest fashion. Discipleship is taking the basic tenets of the faith and passing them on in the clearest, succinct fashion. Now, mentoring and discipleship, there is an overlap. There should be a passing on of the tenets of the faith. There's no question about that. But mentoring is kind of a life coaching skill. It's a walking alongside of, as we are talking about the things of life, I'm going to bring out spiritual points, as opposed to, we're going to sit down, and I'm going to talk about today, in our hour together in my office, we're going to talk about your identity in Christ. Boom, 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 boom. We're going to talk about this, this, and this. That's a different type of thing. Now, they overlap, and they should, but mentoring is a little bit different. It's more of a life walking along with, and discipleship is saying here is the basic tenets of the faith, and we're going to pass these on to you, and I'll see you in the coming weeks, and we'll do this again, and we'll talk about whatever next time. Now, they should overlap, though, because if you're just kind of doing a life coach thing, great, you know, that's awesome, but you need some discipleship in there as well. So discipleship and mentoring overlap. And then also, this is the, the real theological way. I think mentoring is kind of a hipper word nowadays, and so we like to use that a little bit more than discipleship. But there are some differences between the two. Now, here's what a mentor brings to the table. Wisdom, warnings is number two. A belief in you and cheers for your achievement. So wisdom through experience, warnings, a belief in you, cheers for your achievement. Now, one of the mentors that I told you about was my friend that's a jeweler in College Station. Well, we would meet for breakfast, and he brought to me, I remember two different times, that wisdom and uh, that, uh, that warnings, that second one, the warnings. The wisdom he brought at one point, wisdom from his experience, I would always say he'd, he's, going, he's been through everything I'm going through twice and worse, is what I would say. So I got there one day, and we were having problems with breakaway, and we were you know, going to rent out... Uh, the office space that we were renting and, you know, Breakaway by nature is broke as all parachurch ministries are. And so here we are at this spot. So we're going to rent this out. And I'm talking about we're having problems with the landlord and all this sort of stuff. And he kind of nods and smiles. He's been in business for years. And he said, well, yeah, I remember one day I got to my, uh, my office and he's a retail jeweler because so he's got a place um, there in town. He said, I got to my office and my landlord had stolen my sign because we weren't going to pay more rent than what we had already signed in the contract. And I said, now you got there and your sign was stolen? He said, yeah, at 2 o'clock in the morning, the landlord sent some people over and took down the sign off the top of our building and left with it and held it hostage. 
until we would sign the contract again to redo this sort of thing. So I received wisdom from his experience in realizing it wasn't that bad what I was going through. I wasn't, nobody was stealing our sign. I just, it was great. And don't you feel good when you find out somebody else has got problems? I mean, don't you love it? I mean, it's, it's just something in us that goes, great, it's not all my fault. I'm not the crazy one. Somebody else blew it over here too or something else went wrong. So there's wisdom that you get from others' experiences. There's warnings. This same man, we were sitting in Taco Cabana. Kelly and I had, had our first little tiff. I explained the whole deal to him. I told him everything about it. I'd given a very fi- fair-sighted look at the way I thought about the argument. And he leaned across the table and he said, Greg, you're 90% wrong. And I went, well, you, you... And so I went back and I told him again. Because it, surely he didn't hear it. And then he leaned and he said, Greg, you're 95% wrong. <laughs> and you need to go home and you need to apologize because if you don't apologize, you're going to set in your life of marriage this battle in which you bully yourself to be the winner. If you get used to that in year one, it's going to cost you dearly in year 21. Warning. Warning. Red flag. Red flag. So I went back home, did exactly what he said, and you know what? It worked. It's amazing what people learn after 30 years of marriage that you don't know after 30 days of marriage. So there's warnings that are there. Number three, a belief in you. We were in the breakaway realm again. We were moving to Reed Arena, and Reed Arena still is and was at that point $3,000 a week to rent out this basketball stadium in which breakaway would meet. Well, we didn't spend 3000 a week on personnel, rent. I mean, there wasn't anything. I mean, that was, that was going to double our budget in one decision. We met for breakfast, and he said, you know what? There'll be a check on your desk this afternoon for $3,000. You go for it next week. He wrote out that check, and there it was. That check was worth more than $3,000 to me. That check was a belief in me of what God was doing through me in that ministry. And I give glory to God in saying, you know, we've never been without as a ministry I'm still on the board. I'll find out tomorrow at a board meeting whether we've been out. You know, Maybe things are running dry, and that's why we're having a board meeting. I don't know. But from that point on, that was received as a belief in me. And that, that, that was amazing to me. That was really amazing because that was a major step of faith to be able to have that. And that's what a mentor can provide. Cheers for your achievement. The night after that $3,000 was spent, who do you think was sitting on my voicemail but him? And then some, insist, some instances, number five, a proven hero proven hero there's a there's a sense that we all have that we're able to see somebody that's gone along before us and their hero of watching them do something we're able to model a little bit after them and say God use us in that way Let's move on to the next little spot here. The Bible is filled with examples of mentors. Um, some examples, if you want to jot these, you can, but I'll just give them to you. Jeth- Jethro and Moses, Joshua and Moses, Ezra and Nehemiah, Elisha and Elijah, John, Mark and Barnabas, Timothy and Paul, the 12 disciples were mentored, obviously, by Jesus. Let's look at Exodus chapter 18. I think we have that on the screen. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. This is what it says. Now, when Moses, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as the judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? The thing you are doing is not good. 
you will surely wear yourselves out. And these people, both yourself out and these people, for who are with, who are with you. For the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, and I shall give you counsel. Now listen to First Thessalonians two, chapter eight, or excuse me, chapter two, verse eight, and then verse eleven and twelve. Having so fond an affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our very lives. That's a theme verse for me in ministry. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging you and imploring each of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own glory and kingdom. Even Moses in that spot, he had Jethro come along and say, you need to do this. Paul saying in Thessalonians, I want to share not only the gospel of God with you, but your, our very life. When I was traveling on the road, I would take people with me that were young speakers. And I'd hand them my outline and I'd sit up, uh, they'd sit in the room and I would speak. And they would go through the outline. And then we would be able to, to walk along together. And I'd say, okay, now did you notice how I moved this illustration to here? Did you notice, notice how I started there? Now when I came through this, and they were able to learn from that. We'd walk into a camp setting and I'd have my tray and I'd say, now this is how I do camp lunch. You always got to look first and see if they finish the food on their plate, because if they finish the food on your plate, you're going to sit down and they're going to leave you in just a minute. So don't do that. So we would, they'd be, okay, and that's okay. Now look, now you find a full, full table of food out there, sit down and then sit in a different spot. How do you talk to a teenager? What are they wearing? Look at their cap. Do they like a certain football team or a certain, certain sport? So you can sit down and connect with all the teenage guys right then and say, oh, man, well, you like baseball. You like the Astros because they got an Astro kid. Yeah, well, who's your favorite player? All of a sudden, I start de-icing that kid is what I call it because they're iced. They're cool, right? You've got to de-ice the kid. You begin to connect. And that happens when the Jethro comes in and says, Moses, we've got to do things right. It happens when Paul says, I want to share not only the gospel of God with you, but my very life. And we're able to do that. Now, Dr. Howard Hendricks gives us ten things about mentors. Now, I'm not going to go into these in detail because they're, they're pretty self-explanatory. But let's go through them together. The bottom of page 35. This man clearly has what you personally need. This man clearly has what you personally need. He chooses to cultivate a relationship with you. He chooses to cultivate a relationship with you. This isn't some strong-arm deal where somebody doesn't want to do it and you end up making them do it. He's willing to take a chance on you. For those that are thinking, you know, God needs to use me to be a mentor, you know, you've got to take a chance on that person. He's respected by other men. That's crucial. You know, you don't want to get some guy up there that's like, oh man, you're getting mentored by the straight F student at school, you know, that nobody respects. That's not going to work. He has a network of resources. He is consulted by others, letter F. He talks and listens. He is consistent in his lifestyle. He is able to diagnose your real needs. And then lastly, he's concerned with your interests. 
We won't go into those. I think those are pretty self-explanatory and make sense. Now, the impact of mentoring, it does a couple things. And I want us to look at, for just a moment, what does it mean for the mentor? That person that's pouring into that other person, what does that mean? And then what does it mean also for the person that's receiving, the protege, so to speak, the person that's receiving it? For the mentor, it closes the loop on a man's life cycle. It closes the loop on a man's life cycle. Number two, it connects older and younger men in a symbiotic, I'll tell you how to spell that, I can't see the screens, S-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-C relationship. Now that word, I'll tell you what it means in just a second, but let's start at number one. It closes the loop on a man's life cycle. Here's what we've got on, on when you look at a man's life cycle right now, if you just take it and you pull it out in our world, it's a straight line. You're born, you're walking along, you do school, you do your work, you get married maybe, maybe you're single your whole life, whatever it is, you just click along, you learn a lot of stuff. And if you ever thought this stuff, I've thought this, I've even said this, I wish I knew what I knew now then. Seems like I get, you get all the answers the older you get. Well, man, I would sure know a whole lot more if I could somehow begin with the answers, I wouldn't make as many mistakes all the way through. I wish I could begin with the answers and do that. But we just kind of go and you end up where the, the wise ones that have gone through this whole thing, they just end up fading away. They just get all the people that are old and wise, get them a golf course somewhere in Florida where no young people live, and just fade away playing crochet. You know, or, or is that the what is it? Or crochet the knitting. I don't know. It's croquet. There you go. Croquet. There you go. I hadn't got to that part yet of life. I, don't, I ain't got no time to be playing croquette, you know. So, uh, uh, but you see the thing where it just fades away. And so sometimes we even look as men and we say, I can't wait to get to that point where I just don't have anything to do. Now, is there anything wrong with living in Florida? No. Is there anything wrong with going on vacations or having, you know, a hobby? No, of course not. That's not what we're saying at all. But there's something of a resource in a man that says, you know what? I got more to share than how to hit a nine iron. Now, if I'm going to share how to hit a 9-iron, I want to share how to hit a 9-iron in a way that I'm partnering with somebody and we get to share life. It's a tool to share into somebody's life. So use those tools. I'm not negating those tools in, in the least. But we have a spot which we just let man fade away. So somebody that's got all this wisdom just fades away. We just kind of say, okay, thank you for your time. And those guys have more to offer than anybody else on the face of the earth. It completes the loop for them. Because now they're able to come along and say, you know what, let me help you out on this. You know what, let me and my wife take you and your wife out to dinner. and You don't even pull out your credit card. We, we're fine. We got it. You guys are struggling. Let us help you out. Let us talk with you. And then all of a sudden for that older guy, it begins to complete that life loop. I already, in, in my times, I'm, I'm trying to mentor other people now. I love the things that I've learned to be able to pass on to other college ministers to be able to pass on to other speakers, you know, one day to pass on to other pastors. So it closes that life loop, and that's so crucial for the mentor, because if not, you just kind of go, ah, there's something more, something I should be doing. And then it's a symbiotic relationship, and that word is a scientific word that means two organisms come together for their mutual good. Two organisms come together for their mutual good. It allows, number three, a man to teach naturally from experience, which young men desperately need and want. I think I might have shared this with you before, but it fits here. Uh, for the last two years, I had a group of guys on our staff that were 
mainly under 30. That was kind of the rule. There was one that was over 30, but mainly under 30. And they were guys that they would write down questions for me, and we would sit down, and we would just go through maybe a question a week. So we, each one of them was about five of them. They'd write down three questions. They had to write down three questions, and they had to write down scripture reference of how they thought that question was answered. Then I would take a question a week, and we would talk shop kind of ministry. So I did that for two years with a group of five guys on our staff. At the end of that two years, we closed it off. And now I've got, uh, for, for the next group, I've got five guys, and we're going to meet for this year and then maybe for another year as well. And we're going to do the same type of thing. So after those years, I will have had ten guys on our staff that are under 30, thereabouts, or, you know, whatever. There's older, there's younger now. But um, to be in there, and so I can naturally, from experience, say, here's some things. We went through a couple weeks a couple with, the, with the guys. We went through a couple weeks on how do you prepare a message. I don't need to go and prepare how to prepare a message. I live and breathe that. So we were able to sit down just naturally from the overflow of who I was, you know, to be able to do that. Number four, it gives an older man, and older, you know, don't get offended by that, but in our context is probably 40 and up is what we're kind of throwing the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s is, is our mentor target market, and our 20s and 30s, 30s is our mentoree target market gives older men a significant purpose in the second half of their life. Number five, it adds missing satisfaction to an older man's life. So what does it do for a mentor? Blesses his socks off. That's what it does. Gives him great purpose. Not that he's lacking it, maybe, but gives him a great way to close that loop of mentoring there. For the protege, it gives somebody hope. Number one, hope. Number two, wisdom. Number three, a bigger personal vision. And number four, encouragement. Hope, wisdom, vision, encouragement. So that younger guy gets in there, and maybe, maybe you're in your 40s or 50s and you pick up, get somebody that mentors you. That, there's no problem with that. That's great. There's no pride in that. You can, you can do that. That's fine. But you get somebody there that gives you hope, gives you wisdom, gives you vision, and all of a sudden you're like, I know who to call when i got a problem. I, I know who to ask a question to. I know who to connect with. So it gives those things. Now, I want to show you a video, and this is a video of a guy that was involved in mentoring, Okay. And so I want to show you this video and let you hear from him a couple things. The blessing is we're looking at what's the blessing for the mentor and what's the blessing for the protege. Let's put those things together now and hear just a, a word of testimony for a couple minutes of what, um, what it did to bless this guy's life and what it did to be a blessing in this other person's life. One of the greatest things that I've had the privilege of being a part of in my life and being in ministry is to be able to take and be a part of the life of young students that have come right out of high school, moving into college, and uh, just beginning their journey. As they've done that, the joy has been being able to be a part of their lives and challenge them and help them grow and help them see the bigger picture of what Christ can do in their lives. It's been out. He used to lead a Bible study. He led a Bible study with a group of friends one time, and that Bible study began to grow. And it, it grew and it grew and it got larger and larger and they had to keep moving from place to place. And uh, what was interesting about it is as that Bible study grew and it exploded in growth and the ministry exploded, it touched so many lives. Uh, he is no longer doing that Bible study at uh, Texas A&M. 
Everything had been perfect for you from summers, summers as an intern in youth ministry, and you see what God has done in his life. You never know where life is going to go. That was my ministry mentor that I told you about, Dennis Perry. And God just used him to just pour into my life to be able, and that's no glory to, to me in the least. That's just to be able to say, none of y'all ever heard of him, you know, but to be able to have that happen. That's how important this thing is, to be able to connect lives so that we can pour into one another. As we kind of wrap up here in the, the last half of this page, what if you want to be a mentor? What does that mean? What if right now in this spot you've kind of had your heart stirred a little bit and you want to be a mentor? Number one, make a list of your strengths and experiences that can bless a younger man's life. This is most important. Make a list of your strengths and experiences. Those strengths that God's used you to do and your experiences. And you know what? The negative experiences are probably going to be more impactful than the positive ones. We, we don't, you know, you don't always need somebody to come along and say, well, when I did it, I invested in that stock and it went up three times and then it split. Really? Well, I just lost everything. You know, you need to have some stories that are some bad stories too that you turned out okay because it's good to, to realize those sort of things. Number two, determine how much time you have to give. Determine how much time you have to give. Maybe it's just an hour a week. Maybe it's one lunch. It's one breakfast. It's something like that. Number three, pray for and choose a young man you want to be with and reach out to him. Pray for and choose a young man you want to be with and reach out to him. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. You know, you've got to have somebody that you connect with a little bit. If you don't kind of have some type of connection, it's going to be difficult. But if you get that connection and you're able to connect a little bit, then you can walk forward and, and really connect with them in a way that, that you enjoy it and all those sort of things. So don't rush it. And even when you pick out somebody, when you're thinking about somebody, pick somebody who's teachable. If they're not teachable and they're not already growing in their walk, this isn't going to sound real spiritual, don't waste your time because you're going to cast pearls before swine. But when somebody's teachable, somebody's growing in their walk, and you can see in them that untapped potential, and you see in them, man, they're hungry. When you come along, pull them alongside, you're going to just be throwing them food. They're going to be devouring it. Compared to somebody that, well, this kid's a slacker in the neighborhood, and I just, if I, man, if somebody just help out, that's a different type. That's a ministry more than it is a mentoring type thing. You see the difference of what I'm saying? People you come along with that are down on their luck, and maybe they're always going to be down on their luck, but you help them out, and you try to do the best you can. Then there's other people you come along, and you say, hey, you know what? I think you can move to MVP. You know, we can move you from the ninth batting order spot to number three. Let's, let's get in there. And so you have a teachable spot to be able to do that. <clears throat> um, number three, if you connect, initiate some regular time together until the protege has what he needs, and then let him go. This isn't a lifelong deal that for the rest of your life you've now got this indentured servant that owes you and follows you around like Tonto, you know, and you have saved his life and now he owes you everything. It's not like that. It's more like if you have a tanker plane full of gas and a jet comes up and you're able to get the gas and you fill up that jet and it goes back out. That's what happens. And that, that makes a big difference because you, it's in a lifelong thing. So what I like to do is I like to give a certain framework. You know, to be able to say, okay, here it is. So with the groups that I meet with here on our staff uh, to help out with that, 
I take it and I say, okay, for this year, we're going to do this. And at the end of the year, we can decide whether we want to do another year or how we want to do it. But this year, that's all we're going to do. Instead of, okay, till the cows come home, you know, I want you to name your fifth kid after me because, you know, we've been friends so long. No, it's not like that. So you can have a certain amount of time. Um, then uh, what if you need but lack a mentor? Number one, pray for wisdom and guidance. Number two, go and ask courageously. Pray for wisdom and guidance. Number two, go and ask courageously. Number three, don't get discouraged if you're turned down. Number four, get a group and ask an older man to mentor us. So if you're here and you're thinking, you know, man, I'd love to have something like that. I, that makes sense to me. There's something in my heart that resonates with that. I connect with that. I'd like to have somebody, not to just suck them dry of wisdom, but I, I think we would have a great relationship kind of kicking it around together and, and talking together. It'd be a great thing. Well, if that happens, begin to pray. Ask God to provide that for you. Ask God to speak that into your life. Ask God to give you that. And then begin to, to look out and see what that is. Ask somebody. A lot of times for, for the, the man that would be in the mentor category, it's kind of intimidating to walk up to somebody and say, you know, I've been praying and thinking I should be your mentor. What do you think about that? You know? And so, it, and then that guy, the younger guy's like, I'm, I'm seeing Darth Vader tell me he's my dad is what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing right now at this point. So, instead of having that happen, maybe the younger guy comes along and says to the older guy, man, I've... I just want you to pray about something, think about something. You know, I'm not asking you on the spot, but would you think about this? And you can, you can flat turn me down. My feelings won't be hurt, but here's the deal. Or maybe you come around and you say, you know what? And I think, I think a good group is three to five. Uh, more than five, it's too big. Three, three is a good number. You know, two is good, but I, I like when you get at least three, three guys and me in the room because the conversation is always kicking somewhere. You know, it's, it's kind of keep going. Um, so you end up with these three guys, and they're able to, to talk a little bit, and a, a, a group forms, and you say, hey, me and my two buddies, we were wondering if you know, we could meet with you for breakfast once a week or every other week or whatever it is, and to be able to have that. You don't want to have it be a spot where you feel like you're manipulating something, and we don't want this at the end of this session. It feels like an eighth-grade dance, you know, and you know, we have the mentors on one wall and the mentorees on the other wall and kind of walk to the middle and see who you know, decides to, to hang out together, everybody's like, I, I think he's about to ask me to mentor him, and I've I got to get out of here. i got to be at work. You know, just, you know, today's not the day. You've got to go home and pray about it and be able to let that sit on your heart and then long-term to watch that rise up to be able to do. So, let me see my last note here. Um, the last little phrase that we have is we've got to be able, I, I can't find it on my notes, so I'll just send it here. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. Amen? If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. You want happiness for a day, go fishing. You want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. Now, all of us are for all three of those. We don't negate any of those. We'd love to inherit a fortune, go take a nap, and then go fishing. That'd be great. But here's what we actually all can receive. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help a young man succeed. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help a young man succeed. There might be some fifth grader sitting in that library... And he's a nerdy, squirrely little guy, but he's got his hand up in his heart. Oh, 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 he's a little horse shack, and he's looking for Vinnie Barbarino to come along, you know, and help him out maybe. 
That would probably be bad. But anyway, to be able to have that spot that that little fifth grader that's moving into that middle school, somebody comes along and says, you know what? I've done middle school before. I could show you the ropes. That newlywed that's coming into marriage can come in with that oldlywed and say, you know what? I've been married. I am married. It'd probably even better to still be married. You know, it would be work out even better. So um, <clears throat> to be able to mentor and to be able to walk them through that. And if God can use you to do that, you just pour it in. In this room right here, if we decided to do that and everybody took three men for the next, you know, 50 years, you know, for their life, we'd look around this room and about a thousand people would end up being mentored in a spot. And that'd be great. That would be great. We would allow God to do that. So a few thoughts on mentoring. Some cheers for mentoring. I'm glad I hung out with a jeweler. I'm glad I hung out with a youth minister. It's great when God allows somebody to pour into your life. And now I want to be able to return this favor and to pour into other people's lives. So take an opportunity. You've got your questions there. Divide up into your group time and talk amongst your tables um, about this subject of mentoring.